Well, good morning. How are you doing? You easing into your morning with the loss of that hour? Did anybody notice that hour? You feeling it already? Me too. I was telling the earlier service this morning, um, I hit snooze, and uh, I rarely fall back to sleep on my snooze. I went right back to sleep, picked up the dream that I was in, and just woke up uh, nine minutes later, freaked out. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I'll get you out of here early if you're looking for a Sunday nap or if you're going skiing. Uh, we'll, we'll do that. Is that okay with you all? Or do you just want to stay here all morning with me? Uh, I know what you really want. Appreciate you saying that. But uh, welcome. My name is Troy. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, my, uh, one of the pastors here. And we're just grateful that you joined us here in person and online. Um, as they said earlier, we are in part four of a series that we started a while back called Atypical. And uh, being in part, part four, if you're new with this morning, you're like, oh, man, I've already kind of missed the movie. I've come in late. No, no, no. I can catch you up on this real quickly. Uh, the genesis of this uh, series uh, is... Uh, a TV show I saw on Netflix during the dark days of uh, the pandemic. It's called Atypical. Uh, it's about a, a young high school boy who is on the autistic uh, spectrum. And it's about his journey of trying to fit in into a world that he doesn't necessarily fit in, that he is different, he thinks different, acts different. And uh, I thought, boy, that's kind of us. That's, that's what we are as Christians. And so uh, over the last few weeks, in a nutshell, we've been talking about how uh, following Jesus will make us different will make us different from the rest of the world. There's some differences that should be evident in our lives, and, uh, and that's okay. I mean, different in a good way, um, but that's okay because I think we've kind of realized that uh, quote-unquote normal isn't really working anymore. We look around us and we see that normal means working at a job that you hate, you know. Normal means that you're, you're always broke because you're living paycheck to paycheck, uh, normal means that you're maybe, you know, it's just normal nowadays for people to hop from bed to bed and from lover to lover until one day maybe they get married and then according to statistics, seven years later, they get a divorce just like all their other normal friends. It is clear that normal ain't working. And so we're looking at how we can be different, how we are called to be different. God has called us to be different, to be atypical. And uh, this week, I want to jump in and look at what it means to have an atypical marriage, an atypical relationship, um, romance in our lives. And uh, how do we find uh, and maintain a, a marriage that is different, a marriage that will last and a marriage that will reflect God's love to our broken world. Now, before I jump in to give you some answers or th some thoughts on that, um, I want to take a look at the very first uh, wedding, or more specifically, the very first marriage. Um, it's found in Genesis chapter 2, and uh, verse 18. I'm going to jump into this right away here, put it up on the board. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. And all the men in this place say, Big Amen. Amen. We are grateful that God brought us somebody. Uh, uh, he said, God says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. I'll bring someone that will be a perfect fit for each one of them. In verse 21, uh, he goes on and says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while the man slept... The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the opening. A little graphic there, but uh, goes on. It says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, at last. Oh, I got a little bit bigger kick out of that. That's, that's what the Bible actually said. The New Living Translation says that the man went, at last, finally. And I saw that, and I instantly thought of that old song, uh, by Etta James. Some of you old schoolers know this song. Uh, they're going to supposed to play it. Come on, turn it up. Let me hear this. 
Come on, come on. You guys remember this? I want you, if you're sitting with your significant other, to grab their hand. And if you're sitting with someone that you'd like to grab their hand, grab their hand. And let's, uh, let's sing this song together. Ready? Here, put the words up there. Turn it up loud. Get up and dance. Come on, no. Let's sing it together. At last. That's bad. We better stop right there. All right. Does that warm you up a little bit? That'll wake you up? A little love song. At last, the man exclaimed. Yeah, you don't have to clap for that, but that's nice. Uh, at, at last, the man said, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is why. Here's the point I want you to get. This is why a man will leave his mother and father. By the way, if you're still living at home, let me repeat this for you. This is why you will leave your mother and father, and the man will be united to his wife, and they will become one. They will become one flesh. And I think that one of the things that makes our marriages atypical uh, or makes a Christian marriage is that you and I, we believe that when we get married... We actually become one. That something supernatural happens that's not natural, but it's powerful, that there's a blending, that there's a, a connection here. We become one. Now, this does not mean that we become the same person, you know, that we become totally like each other. That's not true. In fact, um, let me just ask this question. How many of you married somebody that is completely not like you or completely opposite of you? Raise your hand. Yeah, uh, uh, most I think many of us are. Uh, uh, it's funny you know, when they when you're dating. There's a saying that when you're dating, that opposites attract, right? Uh, and and, uh, and and you just love that thing, you know. Guy, you know, bad girls uh, or good girls like bad guys. That's why we are, you know, how Julie liked me because I was a bad dude. Someone can believe that. Uh, but uh, opposites attract. But then when we get married. It changes. Do you know this? You know this. When you get married, it becomes opposites attack. <laughs> the thing that was cute about you when we were dating ain't cute anymore. It's driving me freaking nuts, right? I mean, it's when you're dating, think about it. You thought it was cute that he was so laid back and easygoing. And then when you got married, all of a sudden now he's a lazy bum, right? When, when you were dating, it was cool how organized and how driven she was. And now that you're married, she's a control freak, right? It all changes, right? When you're dating, opposites attract. But when you get married, it seems like opposites attack each other. And that's a shame. In fact, I know uh, Julie and I, um, you guys look at Julie and I and you think, gosh, they have a perfect relationship. I mean, that, that lucky woman, how did she get such a... What uh, she, you know, but you and 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 the truth is, is the honest truth is, is that you know, um, our relationship, our marriage isn't all roses and chocolates, people. I know it looks like it's just all wonderful, but it, there's our challenges, we have our hardships, we have our struggles to overcome. In fact, I can say with complete um, integrity before God and all of His people, um, Julie can be a real pill. 
You, I'm serious. Don't let the sweet face fool you, man. She can be a challenge. <laughs> uh, if, uh, our, our marriage isn't easy. It's filled with a lot of miscommunications. We work together. We live together. We raise children together. We go on vacation. We do everything together. So there's a lot of miscommunications. There's a lot of uh, what I would call intense conversations, which is preacher talk for fights, <laughs> arguments. And we have a lot of fights. In fact, um, one of our last fights uh, is fascinating. Julie came to me, literally at the end of the fight, she came to me on her hands and knees, crawling on her hands and knees. And I was just like looking at her going, wow, this is weird. She's, this is weird that she's on her hands and knees. And she was on her hands and knees, and she was like, hey, come out from under this bed, you coward, and fight like a man. Uh, you've heard that one before. <laughs> the truth is, is that in our marriage, I, I mean this, that we are very different. We're not alike uh, at all. Uh, she is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Uh, she is very creative, and I'm more of a critic. Uh, she is a, a thinker, and I'm a feeler. She is patient, uh, but I'm, I'm passionate. I want to go. She likes to stop and smell the roses. I'll drive right over the, those top of those guys. I'm in a hurry. We got to go. Um, one of the things I notice about her is that she loves, she's different. She loves to have long conversations at night. She likes to have long conversations. At night, I like to, well, I just better move along here anyway. So point is, is that we're different. We're different. And, uh, and the thing is, is that if we were the same, then one of us wouldn't be necessary. God purposely drew us together and makes us better together, um, and, 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 and we're different. And I think that the enemy, though, loves to use our differences to divide us and to break us apart. You ever notice that? It's Like I said, those things were cute at one time, and now they're just, and he uses those differences. But God, God loves to use those differences to strengthen our union, to strengthen both of us, to do something in us that he couldn't do any other way. And to use us in ways that he couldn't have done. In fact, uh, look at what it says here in Genesis 2.24. It says, this is why a man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. The Hebrew word for united here is an interesting word. It's echad. Echad. Everybody say echad. Say it like a good Hebrew. Echad. <laughs> echad. It means to be knitted or to be interlaced. To be completely joined together as one. Now, in a minute, I'm going to show you a passage where Jesus quotes this verse in Genesis. 2,000 years after it was written, Jesus quotes the verse, but he adds a little more clarity to it. Um, but before I read that, I need to say something to y'all. I want to just clarify this. With all sincerity, with all sincerity, I understand that there are many people in our church family who have unfortunately experienced the uh, pain and the brokenness of going through a divorce. I realize that. I understand it. Um, and I know, in fact, I've talked to some of you. I know that some of you would say, you know, I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want it, and I would have done anything I could have to prevent it. And others I've talked to you where you've said, you know what? I've done some stupid things in my life. I've made some mistakes, and in many ways, I was responsible for my divorce, and I regret it. Regardless of which side of that spectrum you're on, I want every one of you to hear my heart before I talk about marriage today. And this is, this is what I want you to hear. I am not laying any condemnation or, or, or guilt on anyone. If you walk out of here feeling that today, that is the farthest thing from my heart. Because I understand that uh, marriage isn't easy. 
It's hard. It's difficult. And what happened, happened. Okay? Uh, the past is in the past. And I want you to understand that I understand that. Um, and all I simply want to do today is lay a foundation that you and I can build upon so that our marriage is in the present and perhaps a future marriage or our marriages in the future will not only last, but they will honor God. They will reflect God's goodness to this world. So like I said, what happened, happened. You know, what happened in the past is in the past. But we can't change our past. But what we can do is we can change our future. Amen? And so that's my heart today. And so Jesus uh, quotes Genesis chapter 2, but he adds a little twist. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus says this. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father. Even Jesus says you need to move out. He says that you need to be united. He will be united to his wife, and I love this, and the two will become one. Now, in Genesis, it just says, and they will become one flesh. But Jesus emphasizes the two will become one. And in verse 6, he reiterates it. He says, so they are no longer two, but they are now one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I think what Jesus is, is reminding us is that when two people come together, when two people come together, when two people come together, they are no longer two, they're one. There's this, a supernatural thing. And so an atypical marriage understands that it is always about we and not the me. That is how God designed marriage is that marriage is always about the we and not the me. And when it becomes about the me, then the marriage isn't right. It's, it's going to have troubles. When you begin to go, well, what about me? Or I have my needs. Or I'm not happy. Or you don't make me happy. Or I'm leaving. And a lot of those words, you hear that. That's when marriage isn't what God called. You're becoming typical. An atypical marriage is always about we and not the me. And so here's my question. In this world <laughs> filled with selfies and selfishness and me, myself, and I, how do how do we live this out? How do we do that? How do we have a, an atypical marriage? So what I want to do is I just want to give you a couple of foundational truths to think about. Um, and then number two, I want to give you one thing to leave here today to do and to see what it will do in your marriage. And so a foundational truth about what marriage is. So many people would say, and, and I hear them say this, that, oh, uh, marriage, that's just a piece of paper. Why do we need that? It's just a piece of paper which they're implying that marriage is a contract, right? And that's what the world thinks that marriage is, is that it's an agreement, it's this contract between two people that you have to get signed by a judge or a justice of the peace, right? But the Bible teaches that marriage is something different. Um, it teaches that marriage is a covenant. And there's a big difference between what a contract is and what a covenant is. Um, if you're taking notes, let me just say this about a contract. A contract is based on mutual distrust, there's an assumption that you're going to do something screwy and we're going to have to dissolve this. That's what a contract is, right? A contract says, since I don't know you that well and I can't take you at your word, um, I need you to sign this piece of paper that says that you'll live up to your end of the deal. But if you don't, if you're not faithful to your part, then I can get out of this. 
right? That's what a contract is. I need you to sign this. Uh, Julie and I have rented houses in the past and uh, in our home and uh, our old house that we had in Craig, and we had a contract, and we asked those people to sign that contract before they move in, which essentially said, if you don't pay, you can't stay, right? If then, if you don't pay, then you've got to move away. And then on the back side of the contract, it said that if we don't keep the house in an adequate condition or something breaks, then you can make us pay. If then, right? It's an agreement that is based on mutual distrust. It's assuming that you're going to screw up, and I've got a way to deal with it. And it's assuming that I'm going to screw up. That's what a contract is. But that's not what marriage is. A covenant is different. A covenant isn't based on mutual distrust. It's based on mutual commitment. We are committed to this. We are in it to win it. We're in it for life. It's forever. It's not an if-then. If you do this, then I can do this. It's not 50-50. You bring 50 and I bring 50. It's 100%, 100%, 100% of the time. I am committed to this with 100% of my heart and my life. Come hell or high water, I'm in it. Now that's a little different and that's a little harder to do. But here's the difference though, okay? And here's the cool thing about a covenant. Is that a covenant involves God, a covenant invites God into the midst of it. It's not just you and me. It's you and me and God in this thing. A covenant says, I don't know if I can take you at your word. And you don't know if you can take me at your word. But what we're going to do is we're both asking God to be involved in this and to help us. And with his help and with his guidance and with his supernatural power, we can commit to live together as one for life, just as he originally intended. And so it's with God's help that we can do this. That's what marriage is. And without God, it ain't going to fly. It's going to be very difficult. And so I think the point that I'm trying to make is, is that for our marriages to work, for those of us who are in this, for our marriages to work, we realize that they've got to be God-centric. God has got to be involved. They've got to be christ centered but here's the problem being christ-centered isn't the same thing is a lot different than maybe saying that you're christian we have a christian marriage or we're christians you can have two people in a marriage and both of them say they're they're christians but that doesn't mean that christ is at the center of the marriage it's a little different than that right we need to be christ-centered why because we didn't just enter into an agreement or a contract we entered a covenant with god we asked for his help, we've asked for his power, and we're asking for his presence to be in this union to create this supernatural thing. And so with that said, then what does it mean to be Christ-centered in our marriages? What does that mean? Well, I would first remind you that regardless of who you are or what your relationship is to God, regardless of either one of those things, your life is centered around something. You may not be here and you may not be religious or Jesus-y or churchy person. It doesn't matter. Your life is centered and anchored around something. There's a place that you run to when you freak out, when you're afraid. There's a thing that brings you comfort. There's a center of your life. And what is it? What is your life centered around? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's all about you and what you want, what you need, 
and how you feel, right? Uh, or maybe um, for you, it could be your kids. Some marriages, I see more and more nowadays, marriages are centered around their kids. We're going to do whatever our kids need us and want us to do. We're going to go wherever our kids need us and want us to go. And subsequently, we don't invest much in our marriage because our marriage is all about our kids. And the problem with that is that one day you wake up and your kids are gone and you're looking at this person going, who are you? Because I never really related to you when they were here. Um, Some people center their lives around money. We know this is true, that some people are all about accumulating, getting more, keeping, saving, investing, holding on to, and living their lives based on money. We know that some people uh, base their, their lives and center their lives on their career. It's all about their job and their work and being successful. Uh, some people, it's about their thing, their hobby, the thing that they love to do, those things. Their life revolves around those things. But whatever, some people, uh, I know this, some people, their lives revolve around finding the one. I, I, I run into a lot of single people. There's this myth, by the way, in our culture that there is one. And you got to find the one, right? And that you can't be happy and you can't be fully fulfilled in life until you have the one in your life and they show up, right? And so you're constantly looking for that because you can't, you need the one before you to be whole. You need the one. And, 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 and so when you find the one, all of a sudden life makes sense. All of a sudden all the songs on the radio make sense. All those love songs make sense to you, right? You, you, whenever you're around the one, you know they're the one because you feel all goose pimply and tingly all over. And it's just, they just make me feel good, Pastor Troy. I think he's so amazing. He's the one. Really? Why do you think he's the one? Well, what happens is a girl gets asked out on a date. The guy takes her out on a date, takes her to dinner. They're walking up to the car, and the guy opens the door for her, and she sits there and goes, I think this is the one. I can't, uh, oh my gosh, this is the one. She tells all our friends, this is the one. He is so good. Pastor Troy, he's amazing. Really, tell me a little bit about him. Well, I think he's a Christian. I really do, because he said that he went to church way back in the 80s one time. But uh, I think he's a Christian. Oh, really? Well, tell me more. Well, he's got a job. He does? Yeah, the last one didn't have a job. I think he, you remember, he was, he, he was unemployed, but he, he was wanting to be a professional video game player. Remember him? Yeah. But this one has a real job, a real nine-to-fiver. It's really cool. Wow. And they're excited. I think he is the one. And when I hear people talk like this, I want to remind them, you don't need another person to make you complete. I know there's a part of you, and our culture, and even in church, we kind of put pressure. Have you found someone yet? You got the one, blah, blah, blah. There, there, I, I don't think that that's fair. You do not need another person to complete you. Let me repeat this. You do not need another person to complete you. They cannot. You are a whole person. One, the number one is a complete and whole number. It's not a fraction. You're not just a, a piece of something. You are whole. Um, Jesus was single, and he did pretty good. He had a pretty good run, right? He connected with God, and they kind of changed the world together. Jesus never got. Paul talked about, hey, you know what? You can be all that you can be. You can do what God has called you to do without having to have someone else. I know it's nice. It's not good to be alone. None of us want that loneliness, but you can accomplish and do everything that God has called you to do in this life for God, by, by yourself, Paul said it's actually better and maybe easier to do that. I don't know. But um, Jesus 
is the only one that you need, and he will complete you on that. He, he is, he is, he, he, Jesus is your one. I would love it when some of you find somebody and that you would come to me and rather than say, Pastor Troy, I found the one, I would rather you come to me and say, Pastor Troy, I found my number two. I would love that because Jesus is supposed to be your number one. God is. It's a Christ-centered life. Um, your kids, they're number three. Your marriage, your spouse is number two. Your kids are number three. Your finances are down below that. But Jesus must be your number one. We know this. Matthew 22, verse 36, someone came to Jesus and said, what's number one? He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. God, he's to be the number one. He's to be the center of all we do. Some of you are like, why are you banging on this, Troy? Because you know this is true. Whatever is at the center of your life will affect the rest of your life. Whatever is your core, whatever is your one, will affect everything else. Um, I put a diagram together just to make it easier for you to understand. What is at the center of your life? What is at the center of your life? Whatever it is, here's what it'll do. It'll affect your values and your beliefs. Whatever's at the core of your life will affect what you believe about yourself, about this world, about God, about other people, right? And then whatever you believe and whatever your values are, those influence your decisions and your actions. Those things will directly affect what you do and how you look at the world and how you decide what to do. And the problem with that is, is that your decisions and your actions will influence your impact and your fulfillment in life. If you keep making poor decisions, you'll never have fulfillment in your life. And so what is your life centered around? Is it yourself? Is it everything around you? Is it all about you? If it is, I guarantee your impact will be limited. Is your, is your life centered around your kids? That's a good thing, but if it is, I guarantee your marriage will suffer. And then they will suffer. And then everything else will suffer. But if, it, if it's Christ, if it's Christ, man, uh, you're, think about it. If Christ is at the center, you'll have good beliefs. And those good beliefs will lead to good decisions. And those good decisions will lead ultimately to a good and fulfilling life. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13. He said, enter through the narrow gate. Everyone else is going down this other road. And it is wide, and it, but it leads to not where they want. It leads to destruction and heartbreak and sadness and emptiness. And many are going through that. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And life more abundantly that God has offered us. And only a few, only those who are atypical will find it. And so this narrow road that Jesus is calling us to follow him is to follow Jesus, to have Christ at the center of everything in our life, including our marriages. Now, before I jump into this, I need to make a side note. By the way, if, um, if you're here and you're not married, but you want to be, you would like to be married, I want to encourage you um, to live a Christ-centered life today and not wait for the future. If you want to have a Christ-centered life in the future, you want a Christ-centered marriage in the future, you need to start living a Christ-centered life today. Don't put it off. A lot of people kind of do that. I see people who say that they want something great in their life, but um, they're not walking it out today. They're kind of half in and half out. And, but yet you talk to them, they're like, well, what I really want someday is to have a Christian marriage. I want to find a man who loves God more than he loves me. Because if he knows that love, he'll know how to love me right. 
He'll understand me and he'll, he'll take care of my heart. And I want a man that loves God and, and loves church and wants to serve and use his gifts. And maybe together we can use our gifts together and we can make an impact together in this world and make a difference. That's what I want someday. But right now, this is my time. This is my time, and I'm going to party, and I'm going to have fun because this is about me and doing my thing. Oh, my friend, listen, man. Anytime you do your thing apart from God, that's sin. You put God on a shelf and say, I'll get to him later. That's, you're missing something out, and you can't build a life of righteousness for the future on a, on a foundation of sin today. It won't happen. You will reap what you sow. Be sure that your sin will find you, the Bible says. And so you've got to start walking the narrow road today. If you want this great marriage, this great relationship, family, life, you've got to start walking the narrow road today. Enough dating advice from Pastor Troy, amen? So how do we do that in our marriages? How do we walk the narrow road in our marriage? How do we, how do we have Christ at the center of our marriage? Well, that's a good question. And I thought about it this week, and I thought, boy, if I had to answer that question 10 years ago, I would have given you a list of things to do. I would have told you, hey, you need to go to church together, and you need to read your Bible together, and you need to serve together. That would be good. You need to uh, honor and love each other. You need to, um, you need to uh, pray together. You need to be quick to forgive one another. I'd give you this long list of things to do, and you probably wouldn't have done any of them. But I've gotten older and wiser, and instead what I'm going to do is uh, I want to just give you one thing today. Just one thing. Um, and I believe that this one thing, that if you do it, it will have the highest impact, the highest value, the highest return on your investment of time and energy. And the cool thing is that it will probably lead you to do all those other things anyway. And so rather than give you a bunch of stuff, I'm going to give you one thing, and you might actually do this. And if you do, I believe it will change it. And here's, here's what I'm going to suggest that you do. If you want a Christ-centered marriage, I want to challenge you to pray together as a couple every day. Now, I know some of you are thinking, crap, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. Man, I can't pray. I can't pray with my spouse. Man, I can't do that. Things aren't real good <laughs> right now. Things aren't real uh, hot to trot for Jesus. I haven't been doing. Or, or maybe you're more like, you know what, I can't pray. Uh, prayer is so personal to me. Pray, I got this thing with Jesus, and it's pretty, it's pretty personal. And I don't know if I can involve him in this. Or, I, you know, it's, it's intimate. It's too intimate to pray um, with that. If that's where you are, let me remind you of something that's kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but that's never stopped me before. But it's, this is true. If, um, if you're married, you've been married for any amount of time, you've probably gone to the bathroom in front of your spouse, haven't you? It got real quiet in this Catholic church, but <laughs> we do it at my house. I know you don't want a visual image of it, but the truth is, is that we do that. If you've been married, I know you're like, Troy, you always go to the lowest element. Yeah, I'm a child. I'm growing up. But, you all, but if you've been married any amount of time, you have probably made babies together. Or you've kissed and swapped spit. My point is, is those things are pretty intimate. If you can do those things, you can pray together. You can absolutely say a prayer together. And I believe um, that prayer 
is uh, one of the most powerful things that we can do. Uh, it is one of the most underutilized tools that we use in our marriages because it, it, it creates spiritual strength and unity like nothing else. And that's powerful. Uh, that's powerful. In fact, I would suggest to you that if I was the enemy, if I was, and some people think I am the Satan, uh, but if I was your enemy, I would do everything I could to prevent Christian couples from praying together. I would make you in, in, insecure about your prayers. I'd make you feel weird. I would cause conflict between you so that you would not pray together. I would cause you to be so busy that you don't have time to do this that you would forget. Why? Because the enemy knows how powerful prayer is. And more importantly, the enemy knows how powerful uh, agreement can be. I mean, look at what Jesus said here in Matthew 18, 19. He said this, I promise that when any two of you on earth agree about something you are praying for, my Father in heaven will do it for you. There is power in unified prayer together. And not only that, it connects us. It bonds us together. Um, it, praying together helps us heal the rifts and the cracks that form in our relationship. It smooths them over. Prayer, when we pray together, it softens our heart. You can't be a jerk as often if you're praying with your wife every day. You can try, but it won't work, right? You're like, I cannot do this. Or you can't be so crabby if you know you got to pray with him tomorrow, right? And one of the things is, is I believe that if you'll pray together, it'll lead to a bunch of other stuff. It'll cause you to maybe even read your Bible together or go to church together or serve together and all those other things. Um, in fact, one thing that will happen if you pray together is that you will definitely stay together. Those, what do they say? Those who pray together stay together. This is absolutely true. Statistics say this. Do you know this? That your first marriage, 50% of first marriages end in divorce. So all you newlyweds, congratulations. God bless. But then you would think that the second marriage would get better. 78% of all second marriages end in divorce. But here's a stat that will blow your mind. This is crazy. 1%. Less than 1% of all couples who pray together ever get a divorce. You almost divorce-proof your marriage by simply praying together. And so, how do we do that? Well, I want to challenge you today to think about praying together if you're not. Some of you are like, man, we've been doing this for years. Preach on, Pastor Troy. But if you're not, I want to challenge you tomorrow to say a prayer together as a couple. And here's, and, and here's, I'll help take out the weirdness. Number one, here's three tips. Number one, keep it short. Keep it short. Don't jump into this and go crazy. Do it for, I'm talking like a minute. Just one minute. And if that seems like a lot to you, start at 30 seconds. Just keep it short and simple. Um, you know, uh, 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 you, and here's the thing. What will happen is that some days you'll remember something that you both want to pray about, and maybe you'll go two minutes. Or maybe you'll find yourself praying for five minutes. Or maybe one day you'll just, just pray for an hour together. But I'll guarantee this, you'll never pray with your wife for an hour if you won't pray with her for a minute. So just start simple. Start short. Make it short. Take out the weirdness. We're just going to do a quick prayer. Number two, keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. Do it the same time every day so that you don't forget. And if you miss a day... Don't miss two. Go right back to it. Go, we forgot yesterday. Let's do it. No guilt. It's not your fault. Well, whose fault is it? Let's just get in an argument about prayer. 
Don't do that. Just say, let's move on. We're moving on. In fact, I suggest that you pray before you do something. As a reminder, before you do something that you do every day, pray. Like, for example, before you get out of bed. That would be a good time, a place to pray for her or pray with her. Or before you go to work, before you both leave. Oh, yeah, let's pray. Before you work out, let's pray. Before you eat a meal, a specific meal, we pray. Before that, whatever it is, just do it consistently. In fact, I would encourage you to take turns. So it's not always on one. One day the guy, one day the girl. One day the husband, the wife, back and forth. So it just kind of makes it kind of fun. Number three, keep it simple. Some of you are like, what would we pray for? Um, what, 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 man, there's so many things. <laughs> Where do we start? Keep it simple. In fact, um, I, uh, I put together a little prayer. I wrote a little prayer. I don't recommend that you recite this forever. I don't think this is the gospel, but this is a good start. And so I put it up here if you would. In fact, if you want to take a picture of that just to give you a framework so it's not so weird tomorrow, that you would just do this. It basically says, Dear God, give us wisdom in all that we do today. Keep us close to you and away from temptation. We ask for your provision and your protection over our family and help us to show your love, your kind of love to each other and to shine your light into this world. Simple, simple. It's gotten real quiet in this Catholic church right now. This isn't a Catholic church, by the way, but uh, I'm telling you, that uh, this little exercise, I believe this, will do more for your relationship than anything else. Uh, it will help you to put Christ back in the center of your marriage. It absolutely grounds that. It'll save you thousands of dollars in counseling and legal fees. <laughs> It'll open the door, I believe this, to a new and wonderful season of blessings in your life. You will see miracles happen with each other it'd be something awesome and it'll be a rock that you can run to in times of trouble and turmoil and it'll be a source of life and hope and peace and joy wherever God leads you but I understand this isn't easy and maybe your marriage isn't in a place right now where you feel like prayer together is an appropriate thing and so maybe it feels awkward to you, feels kind of weird. Let me remind you that weird is good. Awkward is good. Atypical is good. That's what we're shooting for, to be a little different. And, uh, and, and so I want to just start today. I want to practice. I want to break that wall that's come between you, perhaps. And I want us to pray together. And, and in fact, can I ask you, if you're here with your significant other, would you... Would you grab their hand one more time? And rather than sing a dumb, dumb song with me, we could pray. And if you're not married, this prayer works for you as well. It's a good prayer and a good commitment to start today to put Christ at the center of your heart and your life and to say a prayer. And so is it okay if we pray together and we close with this? Is this all right? About eight of you? Well, we're going to do it anyway, so jump on board, man. <laughs> but I want to make it easy so that tomorrow it's not so weird and new. And I want you to pay attention to the atmosphere between you. And when you're done with this, just, you'll see. Let's do this together. In fact, would you just say it with me? Together, 
Dear God, give us wisdom in all we do today. Keep us close to you and away from temptation. We ask for your provision and protection over our family. And help us to show your love to each other and to shine your light into this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Done. Now you can go have your nap. <laughs> Guys, uh, I, hope, I hope and pray that you will in- integrate this into your marriage. I believe it'll, this little thing can change a lot. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming this morning, and uh, just two quick announcements. If uh, you're here and you're brand new, this is your first time, hey, we would love to get to know you and meet you and say hello. Right after service, I'm going to stand over here. we got a gift for you. Come on down. Say hi. Just to say hello. We'd love to do that. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you need prayer, maybe you're sick in body or you need help or you're in trouble, the Bible says call the elders of the church to pray over you and the prayer offered up in faith will make the sick person well. Um, Charlie, Leilani, some of our friends, they hang out down here and they'd be glad to pray with you or bring help to you if you need tangible help. In fact, they're coming on over right now. They will pray with you and help you with that, okay? Uh, Did you have a good morning at church today? Amen. Are you okay? Everybody good? Yeah, God bless you. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week for part five of Atypical. Have a great afternoon. Love you all.